a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. Apparently, um, people have been voting for the dildo that hit uh, him in the face for... Oh. Come on, lads. Uh, that hit, hit uh, Stephen Joyce in the face as Bird of the Year. Uh, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I don't know whether it'll win or not, but we'll find out. Oh, look at that. Headphones fucked too. All right, I'm joined by Jeffrey Miller and John Moore. Morena to you both. Kia ora Good morning. How are we today? Very good. Very good, very good. Right, let's get into it. Uh, populism is on the rise, well, pop- populism sentiment is on the rise, uh, which, um, and it seems that uh, the carrot is just too delicious for the National Party not to chase. Uh, what's the deal, John? What are they saying? Yeah, exactly. So uh, um, National is looking at parties, right-wing parties, centre-right parties that are doing well overseas, and they're doing it well on the basis of grabbing onto this form of, of populism. Um, what I'd say we're seeing in New Zealand is very much populism light. Mm. So the the idea that populism uh, presents a political figure who can who can rally against the establishment on the behalf of the people, you know, a Donald Trump-type figure in America or a Nigel Farage-type figure with the Brexit party in Britain, uh, that they stand up for ordinary people, working people, uh, small business people, etc. We're not really seeing that from National so much, it's just bashing the gangs, bashing beneficiaries. So good old bread and butter stuff really from National. Um, we're not, we probably will see more language in terms of this liberal elite, this so-called woke elite, urban elite, uh, enabling gangs and enabling beneficiaries, but as of yet we're, we're not seeing that type of um, uh, Donald Trump type language against draining the swamp, uh, smashing the elite, smashing the establishment, etc. And I don't think we will from National, because it's... I mean, National is so integrated with top business circles and corporates and federated farmers and the dairy industry as such. Their, their core corporate base, business base and farmer base, will probably be quite alarmed if mm. <laughs> National started saying, uh, let's get the rich, let's get the establishment in the way that Donald Trump did. Um, and when we look at Donald Trump and Nigel Farage, they're really political outsiders, so they can do that. Yeah. Um, and, and with the case of Donald Trump, he came into the Republican Party and really did alarm uh, your your good old normal Republican type politician. So yes, uh, National is taking a populist turn, a nasty turn, uh, um, punching down as some people would say, uh, and it will probably work. Uh, the only thing I'd say, it's one reason why it's, it could be particularly dangerous is that it will take votes away from ACT, and uh, National needs ACT. Mm, but at the same time it will might take some votes away from New Zealand fo- first, and they... True. <laughs> You don't need them, uh, and they certainly, um, you know, and they certainly want to be doing that. Um, do we have an appetite for it, though, Jeff? Do you think in in Altera, Do you think this is the kind of thing that will resonate with the people? Yeah, I think so. I think it is working. Um, if you look at this year politically, uh, the first half of the year was disastrous uh, for, for National. Um, they looked all over the place. Um, you know, the, the overriding narrative in the first half of the year was that you know Simon Bridges was going to be rolled as the, as the National Party leader and replaced by Judith Collins. And there were several polls which 
did show very bad uh, results for Bridges personally as preferred Prime Minister, but also National itself seemed to be sliding a bit in in the polls. And and Jacinda Ardern and Labour were flying high, um, you know, with uh, the Christchurch call and the aftermath of the Christchurch mosque attacks. You know, Jacinda Ardern really gained uh, a very high profile internationally and was seen as quite uh, quite the statesman. Uh, stateswoman mm. um, and but in the middle of the year National kind of had a reset with their conference and they came up with the slogan our bottom line is you and uh, this is when all the populist kind of stuff uh, starts and a lot of it uh, comes via social media which we, I think we're going to talk a bit later um, uh, talk a bit uh, more about a bit later but um, you know some of the examples of the populism I mean one of the first ones was uh, Bridges saying that Ardern was a part-time prime minister mm. when she was travelling a lot overseas, and this was quite significant because this kind of sort of n- naked kind of attack, like this previously, it's the kind of stuff we would have seen left more to you know national-friendly bloggers, you know the people like Whale Oil or or, or David Farrer, Cameron Slater, Whale Oil, David Farrer, Kiwi Blog, and these kinds of things. You know they they s- tended to seed out these ideas via mm. their friends, but not say it directly themselves to kind of you know show that they were. Um, yeah, you know, they were, we're not attacking uh, Ardern personally, but now the gloves kind of went off at this point. Um, and, you know, you saw a series then of populist kind of uh, moves by National. Uh, Bridges said that Ihumata protesters should just go home. Um, he rejected the idea of a parliamentary budget office that would provide independent costings of political parties' election policies, criticised the census, um, more recently the anti-gang strategy, and you've seen very straightforward language, uh, you know, uh, Bridges said, uh, you know, if gangs want to help combat meth, they should stop selling it. National crackdown hard on gangs was one of the things the National Party said. In fact, their um, new social strategy that they put out last week, their social services discussion document, uh, just simply said, National hates gangs. Uh, and um, <laughs> just kind of plain speaking, um, you know, it's a core part of, of populism. Uh, and we saw this with, uh, with, with Donald Trump, of course, you know, Make America Great Again. Um, we've seen this in New Zealand as well. And I, I guess like, it's also just an opposition party tactic. It's easy in opposition to make everything look very simple. Mm. Come out with the slogans uh, and, and say, look, fix it. Um, you know, and Labour did this too. They had let's do this. They had let's build a hundred thousand homes in ten years, and it all sounds so easy and simple when you're in opposition. And then, uh, you know, Labour's in a very messy period, the middle of their, their term in government. Kiwi Build hasn't worked out. The the CGT, the capital gains tax, hasn't worked out. And Nationals coming in with all these uh, simple slogans, and it's and it's effective. They've got cut through, and Nationals playing on their own turf. You know, yeah. by talking about law and order, talking about crushing the gangs. You know, this is friendly territory for for national and Labour's having to kind of play catch up with it because you know there are also statistics that are showing that the gangs are increasing and that's the thing you know national is picking on issues where there is a substance a, a grain of truth at least to them um, you know Ardern has been overseas a lot this year uh, the gang numbers are increasing according to the statistics so you know it's not that there isn't an issue there is some substance there and and national's quite cleverly picking up on it using social media using quite pithy slogans to to capitalize on it Mm-hmm. And, and years gone by, especially in the key government, they really couldn't say too much about the gangs because they had the Māori Party as 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 a, a, a backing team. And mm-hmm. uh, if we remember anything from 
um, uh, one of the former leaders of the Māori Party, she would stop any kind of crackdown on, on gangs because she saw it as a crackdown on Māori. Yeah, there's dog whistle politics at play mm. here. I, I think um, if we go back to, say, when Don Brash uh, was seen as using the issue of race, uh, as a populist issue, um, you know, way back a decade, over a decade ago, uh, um, that slogan "Iwi versus Kiwi" really resonated and was clearly playing on the issue of race and and, and a bit of uh, Maori bashing. I don't think there's such an appetite now for being so blatant "Iwi versus Kiwi," but "We hate gangs" uh, mm. plays a similar role. When people, um, unfortunately, when um, a certain demographic thinks of gangs, they think of Maori and Pacifica, uh, and so when you bash gangs, in a sense, it, it's an indirect way of bashing uh, Maori. When we see the rise of the far right at the moment around the world and in New Zealand, you know, um, does this kind of rhetoric um, bolster what they think they're doing is right? Like, well, you know, I mean, we're not seeing, mm. we're only seeing, you know, populism light, as you said, mm. but still, it still kind of feeds into those. Yeah, streams. it normalises um, uh, certain far right uh, concepts and political slogans, etc., um, and, and certainly in, in, in the form of, of race politics. Um, as I said, with Don Brash, it was a lot more blatant, Iwi versus Kiwi. Uh, and and uh, now, um, yeah, you've got. Um, national bashing beneficiaries and national bashing gangs uh, in the past you've had uh, New Zealand First of course uh, bashing Asians uh, um, and Muslims even at one stage although it didn't really resonate with the voting population so yeah it sort of it does the argument is um, and we think of Labour going back yeah, with the whole Chinese sounding names yeah. issue uh, with home it normalises that uh, what uh, academics call othering so that othering where you where you take a category of people and you demonise them and present them as a threat uh, an existential threat to the nation, to the people etc Donald Trump does that with Mexican immigrants mm. uh, um, and if we go back uh, the extreme right with uh, fascism of course you use the image of the Jew as this as this other that comes into our territory and disturbs the harmonious uh, unity of, of, of the nation, of the state, of the community. So the same idea with gangs. Uh, gangs, uh, we've got this harmonious community, but gangs are coming in and disturbing that harmonious uh, community. And again, uh, I stress that there is that um, dog whistle politics with mm. gangs equal Māori equal uh, Pacifica. Yeah, uh, let's move on to political ads now. Twitter has decided to ban all uh, paid political advertising on its platform, uh, saying that attention should be earned, not brought. Facebook has created a voluntary registry for political ads. Uh, both Labour and the Nets have refused to sign up so far. Um, why has Twitter decided to do this, Jeff? Oh, well, uh, they said Jack Dorsey, the uh, CEO of Twitter and uh, founder, he said uh, political message reach should be earned, not bought. Um, and he went on to say uh, that you know a political message earns reach when people decide to follow an account or retweet. Paying for reach removes that decision, forcing highly optimised and targeted political messages on people. We believe that this decision should not be compromised by money. Okay, which is a very wholesome way of, of putting it. I think the truth is probably for Twitter, uh, it is a very partisan environment. Most people on there um, are, I think, 
already decided in their political outlook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think probably political advertising makes a whole lot of money for Twitter, is the simple yeah. truth. Um, and it's very, very different to Facebook. Uh, you know, Twitter is small compared with Facebook. Uh, you know, in, in New Zealand, um, you know, Facebook has a, you know, about a 55% share of uh, you know, social media use. Um, and Twitter's down about 15%. Instagram is, is almost overtaking Twitter uh, now, and I think in, in some ways perhaps already has, certainly in um, you know, public consciousness. So uh, you know, I think Twitter could afford to probably uh, to do this, and it saves them a lot of, uh, a lot of aggro. Uh, yeah, yeah. Put, but, put it simply. Yeah. Uh, but in the political sphere, they've still got Donald Trump. Yeah, and, and that's the irony, isn't it? That uh, you know, the p- number one political figure in the world is is incredibly heavy user of, of Twitter, and that's his main way he gets his messages out. Uh, and you see other politicians uh, using Twitter for the uh, for the same purpose uh, is useful in that respect. But is it a kind of place where you can kind of convince? Undecided voters. I, I think it, it, it's not a great platform for that. It's, mm. it's full of a lot of partisan uh, talk. Uh, people follow the accounts that they agree with. Um, you know, I, I just don't think that that's something that you know, for even in the New Zealand context, I don't think either of the big two parties would be spending, looking to spend a lot of money on on Twitter ads, if any. Um, but on Facebook, they they would, and they they do like to spend money on ads because this is where the masses are on Facebook, and there's a lot of undecided. Uh, centre ground voters on Facebook. That's yep. where people spend a lot of their lives these days. You know, it's not watching uh, TV. It's on their Facebook account on their phones. Uh, so obviously, you know, Facebook advertising could be quite lucrative, which explains why Facebook is not banning uh, political advertising. Uh, they're coming under a lot of pressure for this, um, particularly the idea of fact checking that you should check whether you're telling the truth or not before mm. you accept an ad, uh, which seems like an impossible demand. Uh, to make and especially for politicians. Yeah, I mean, I I really don't want Mark Zuckerberg, you know, fact checking what Simon Bridges says or what Donald Trump says or what Elizabeth Warren says. But what um, makes an what makes a Facebook ad any different to one that would be in the newspaper or on the side of the road on a billboard? Well, I mean, yeah, you can argue that. I mean, I would say also, I mean, all advertising to extent it has exaggeration. I mean, do you want Facebook banning Red Bull ads because Red Bull doesn't actually give you wings? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, John Key made this point when we had this discussion about 100% pure New Zealand a few years ago. Yeah. And John Key said, oh, well, look, do you really expect this to be absolutely the truth? It's advertising, you know, it's like McDonald's, you know, are you really loving it? Um, you know, I, I mean, I think all advertising is, you know, to an extent an exaggeration. Uh, embellishment and I think most people, most voters are savvy enough to kind of realise this in the main so I mean I think there are forms of advertising which are deliberately deceptive at the last US election we saw the fake news phenomenon and look these days fake news is used every day as a kind of insult for everything but the original meaning back then in, in 2016 was was a, was referring to you know, quite convincing looking news articles mm. uh, in news and inverted commas and they were you know people came up with quite credible looking websites that mimicked the New York Times or the Washington Post or, or whatever and that had all kinds of conspiracy theories uh, you know talking about uh, you know things related usually anti uh, Hillary Clinton uh, things and then people would share them and the way Facebook worked at the time was would give 
you know, it would amplify these messages because Facebook had, you know, a much cruder form of its algorithm at that point mm. was just sort of focused, all oh, people are sharing this, we'll share it more. And then it, mm-hmm. it showed the post higher and higher on their algorithm. So you had all these people sharing, you know, conspiracy theories of Pizzagate or whatever um, on, you know, New York Times kind of mock-up sites that weren't the New York Times or, or any, weren't credible news sources. But a lot of people, if they don't spend a lot of time analysing the news or anything, they, they think, well, this is a credible site. This says that you know, Hillary Clinton's involved in something dodgy, so it must be true. And this kind of thing, Facebook has kind of uh, cracked down on, uh, and that kind of fake news phenomenon has been stamped up. But no doubt, you know, there'll be other forms that of, of you know, deceit uh, that will, will come up in the next year as we approach the US election year and the New Zealand election, which of course coincides. Um, so you're going to see a whole lot of new uh, tactics. And we're already seeing that um, the um, National Party has really gone big on uh, these uh, mashup videos. Mm. Uh, and they've got a huge uh, number of staff out of their parliamentary offices, taxpayer funded, um, that are creating a lot of these uh, s- uh, videos that are going online. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're showing um, Labour politicians typically uh, in a way that's unflattering to them. Uh, you know, they got into trouble for sh- using parliamentary clips, but they're using other clips from the news and so on. And they're quite clever. I mean, yeah. they're, they're short, pithy videos of a minute long uh, showing, you know, Jacinda Ardern stumbling over her words or um, Deborah Russell, who's a Labour MP, you know, trying to explain... Uh, you know the history of well-being, going back to the classics and referring to Aristotle and Plato, and and it all looks a bit ridiculous. And and they're quite clever these little short videos. I think you're going to see more of these kinds of tactics. They get shared, uh, and you know they're popular. Yeah, well, young nets have a very strong meme game too. I don't know if you follow, follow the young nets on Facebook, but they have a. Very, I should actually yes. They yes, have I'm a, very, a meme fan. So. Yeah, well, they have a very strong meme game. Oh, as do all the young political parties in, in mm. New Zealand. And there's legitimacy in making memes to uh, mock opponents and to critique opponents' politics. I make memes myself, and I think they're, they're valid and a valid parody and satire. Um, I got criticised myself indirectly by Trevor Mallard, the speaker. Malad, uh, the Speaker of the House, when I made a meme uh, using uh, advertisement from Labour uh, and, and then saying along the lines, they were promoting the fact they had been plastic bags, so I put something along the lines of, well, uh, we, we can't get rid, of, get rid of child poverty and build any more houses, but at least we've banned plastic bags. Mm. Bags. And there were complaints uh, made to Trevor Mallard because of that meme, saying that uh, people wouldn't understand that it was a parody, that it was fake news, and that it was breaking breaking intellectual property rights by using Labour Party's logo, etc. Um, but that's kind of the road we could go down if we have a real crackdown on so-called fake news and political satire and advertisements and etc, uh, etc, et that we could um, um, see a crackdown on, on, on legitimate uh, critiques and, and, and uh, satire directed at politicians and within the political sphere as well the national uh, using satire and parody to critique Labour and vice versa do we really want to go down that road? I would say no. <laughs> I wonder if New Zealand First is asking their grandchildren to help them out with memes because <laughs> I don't think they've got a youth wing do they? Well they do but I don't think it's very yeah, I mean, young. That's a running joke isn't it? The New Zealand First youth wing is the under 65 Yeah 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 <laughs> Um, all right, let's move on to the final topic this morning. Um, the film Joker, 
has become uh, one of the most controversial films of the year. Uh, of course, it's up there with Tucker Waititi's uh, Jojo Rabbit mm. uh, for that. But uh, both the left and the right have attacked it, attacked it uh, for different reasons. Um, is it political, John? Though, or is it just a just another film? Was it deliberately political? I wonder if it's just another film. It's a mainstream Hollywood film. Although the way it deals with this whole, sort of whole uh, superhero and villain genre is, is is very different to your standard Hollywood film. There's no big sort of clash of of good and evil and, and big fight scenes between uh, superheroes and villains, etc. It's very much a film about uh, how the how Joker became Joker, yeah. uh, very disturbed, uh, psychologically disturbed, um, 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 lower class person in, uh, in what clearly is, is New York, um, uh, although Gotham City formerly. But I think a political reading of it is legitimate, and it, it clearly uh, integrates a whole uh, a certain form of politics into the plot. Um, um, but these other readings, purely just on a psychological basis, an existential basis, a, 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 a basis you could just read it on a basis of mental health issues as well. Um, but yes, it, it is political in that uh, in the background of, of this of this man sort of falling apart mentally uh, is a, a rise of, of essentially class tensions in the city. Uh, quite explicitly against against the rich and against uh, uh, what the protesters see as a fascist mayor, Bruce Wayne. So in that sense, because because the background presents uh, uh, a clear political narrative, especially the way the film ends, and that this uh, the, the figure of the Joker or Joker is taken up by these protesters in the film, uh, he's he used as a symbol, an anti-establishment, anti-rich uh, symbol by the protesters. That yeah, it does seem to um, politics definitely plays um, a significant part in this film. But I mean, it's not like it stuff we haven't seen before on the screen. You think of, uh, you know, if you're looking at class issues and things like that, you can't think of any like Ken Loach film. Mm. Uh, you know, we've seen this kind of stuff on the uh, on the screen before. So why is this polarizing us? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with people like Ken Loach and going back to Mike Lee and Spike Lee before, and all these people who dealt with very controversial issues because their films are aimed at a educated elite. Um. And there's this sort of, uh, I would argue, this idea that an educated elite uh, can handle these films and look at them with nuance, uh, whereas uh, the rabble out there, when they look at a film like The Joker, they're just going to get carried away, pulled in by the sort of populism, anti-rich sort of uh, narrative that's in the film. I think that's incredibly snobby. Mm. Uh, and, and the fact that um, it was predominantly uh, the liberal media that, that came out strong attacking this film initially. None of these people would actually watch the film, uh, as often the case when people critique such films. And there were claims that it would incite uh, sort of lone wolf white man violence. Uh, didn't happen. Are we Didn't still living happen. in a world where we with that is the call on things? The, really, really? Oh, it's filmed. Yeah, and if you watch the film, I went and watched the film. I loved it. I thought it, uh, it has its problems, but I think it's the most important film of this decade. And uh, uh, it would be very hard for an alienated, um, say, um, racist. Uh, incel white man to to actually be encouraged by the 
by Joker in this film, and that he is presented as a as a kind of loser, Joker, a kind of pathetic figure, and his 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 status is only enhanced really by the protesters taking up his image. And Joker in the film actually rejects, uh, for a large part, this politicisation of himself. He just wants to be a stand-up comic. Mm. And, and in the end, it becomes clear to him he's failed. He's not going to get anywhere. Uh, and only then, right at the end of the film, does he stand up amongst these protesters and embrace the image that they've put on him. But it's not, it's not an in- image that's sort of intrinsic to who he is. So, um, yeah, I don't think... I mean, lots of psychologists actually came out and said, no, it's not going to encourage um, in-cell massacres. Uh, it, it's... it's, it's Joker doesn't represent that type of figure. He's not a type of hero figure to that category of people. And when we say incel, for people who don't know what it means, it means involuntary celibate. Celibate? Celibate? <laughs> Which means uh, a, a category of people, of men, uh, quite toxic men, who are active on various social media sites, who say that... Um, that they are, are women are repulsed by them, especially so uh, beautiful women, uh, and, and this this is basically almost like a sexist attack on on these on these uh, <laughs> young white men. Uh, so involuntary uh, celibate. That yeah, they're not getting sex, uh, and it's not their fault. It's the fault of women. Oh, of course, <laughs> yes. of course. So Joker was defined by some liberals as a, as essentially an incel hero. To me, that's that's not the case at all in the film. And uh, with the right, they were saying that. Yeah, so there, there has been there's actually been very little criticism from the right. But what if, what criticism there has been is that, is that yes, maybe it's a an easy attack on the rich and the elite, and that could definitely be read into. I think a, a good sort of Marxist reading, uh, class war reading, can be made of this film. Um, but I think the right on the whole has been very hesitant to criticise this film because the left jumped in there and said this film is toxic it's about right wing populism it's a promotion of incel culture fascism so the right I think would have been far more critical of this film because it's actually it is a real critique in many ways of capitalism and and of a rich elite and um, and it shows a a multicultural multiracial populist rising up in this film um, but I think the right is sort of held back because (laughs) because the left condemned it before they even saw it and I think there was a, a fatal mistake on the part of liberal leftists to just condemn this film before they ever even saw it possibly because of the director uh, because Todd Phillips is you know he's the director of films like the um, uh, Hangover uh, trilogy, mm. which would be seen as lowbrow for a lot of uh, liberal academic, liberal intellectual types I, I quite like the uh, Hangover series well, the first one was good yeah, the Fun. second one I see in Bangkok I like because I lived in Bangkok. But um Selfish. <laughs> but he's also uh he wrote uh, a lot of the screenplay for Borat, uh which I think's a brilliant Borat. Uh, Borat, yes, yeah, uh, a brilliant uh, mock documentary, and he also made the documentary uh, Hated Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies mm, about the infamous good. punk rocker, so he's got a background in more sort of uh, off-edge type stuff. Gigi Allen, 
Okay. Not that I'm endorsing the uh, punk rocker Gigi Allen here. He was why not? Why not? Very, oh. uh, complex character. Oh, very complex character, just like the Joker. Um, maybe that's why he was so good at doing it. Yes. Uh, all right, well, we're running out of time. Thank you both for coming in this morning. Always a pleasure. Um, but yeah, the, yeah the, just go to the film. Just don't read too much into it. I don't, mm. you know, oh, next time I watch an alien invasion film, it's, it's anti colonialism. Mm. Uh, it's oh. a bit like the Satanic Verses when that came out. I think it's one of my, it's one of my favourite books, and uh, shocked, Muslim yeah. radicals rallied around the world against it, but none of these people had read it. You know? Mm. Typical. That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.